So thanks to Bob for facilitating this interview, all the way from Verbier, Switzerland. And in this episode, we talk with Jimmy um, a bit about his book and uh, a lot about the ski stories that he has and places to ski that you wouldn't even think. He's traveled around the world, skied on all continents, as Bob has, and uh, skied at uh, more than 650 resorts. And I would imagine that some of that skiing, had, there weren't resorts involved at all. So grab yourself uh, something comfortable to sit in and a drink or a snack and uh, sit back and enjoy the uh, stories from Jimmy Peterson. By the way, his book is called Ski the World, and it's available at skitheworldbook.com on the World Wide Web. Anyways, enjoy. Nice can to you meet. see both? Oh, yes, you I can, can see, see both of you. Yeah, okay. perfectly. Sorry that we're late, Keith. Oh, yeah, shit, I don't care, I man. We got caught up. A we got bit. caught up drinking beer, you know. <laughs> how the ski bum lifestyle is. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Nice to meet you, Jimmy. Nice to meet you as well. So tell, I, me a little about your, tell me a little about yourself. Uh, I'm a retired teacher. Me too. I was a cool teacher, though. I taught shop in phys ed. <laughs> <laughs> but towards the end of my career some dumbass in the board office said oh you know what you should have a homeroom and you know going with phys ed you teach math and science but then somebody said you should teach english too and i was like oh shit i can write a twenty-five thousand word essay in one sentence still if you want you know like <laughs> i may not be the best but you know what i delved into it and uh did the best i could for the last 10 years of my career while still teaching shop and, did you like teaching Oh man, I, I loved teaching. It's, it was, you, yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, I taught, uh, well, my, I, I majored in history. Yes. And got, got a, a, a master's in education. And um, the, <laughs> the first year, um, I thought, well, you know, now I've been studying straight through high school and, and yeah. this and that. And this was before the master's. After, after getting my BA and my teaching credentials, so that was, you know, five years of university, I thought, well, you know, I deserve to have, you know, little time off. I'm going to do a season in the Alps right. before I, you know, settle into the, into the you know, career. The Sounds, real world? Sounded like Bob's uh, way into skiing. Career as a teacher. <laughs> so um, I, I wrote a friend of mine in, in Austria you know, I'm going to come over to the Alps, you know, can we ski together? And he said, he said, yeah, but I'm, I'm going to be working as an instructor in Hinterglem. And, you know, maybe I can, you know, get a job for you there as well. Right. I, okay. You know, he'd never seen me ski. I just told him I was a good skier. Right. And I didn't have any uh, background as an instructor. Um, but he said, okay, well, you know, I'll try. So I showed up there in it just in the beginning of the high season when they really needed more instructors. Right. So um, the the head of the ski school, who was very happy, of course, to have people working black, you know, so he could score much more <laughs> money under the table. Mm -hmm. Right. So he hired me, you know, skiing, teaching beginners and uh, and stuff. Well, I was surprised because, you know, being kind of an ignorant American, I thought that, you know, if it wasn't one of those five or six ski resorts that I'd heard of, like Cortina, Chamonix, Verbier, San Anton, right. and Kitzbühel, 
that it probably was a little place with one T-bar and a rope tow. Right. But Hinterglem was a pretty, you know, good resort already then. And so... Surprisingly. So... <laughs> no, you were surprised, right? Yeah, was yeah. Like, yeah. So when I got back to the U.S., I thought, well, you know, maybe I'll do one more season. Right. Um, and, of course, you know, the... They're the old expression, money for nothing and the chicks for free. Yep. Well, here it was really no money, but the chicks <laughs> were definitely for free. So so I went back for one more season. And then, as the fates would have it, there was a, a, a travel rep who saw me sitting around, you know, drinking beer with the other ski instructors and playing the guitar. Right. And he said, hey, you know, do you think you could – do a you know something for me I, I have a group going up for a you know a, an evening in one of the huts and we need some entertainment so there the the light bulb kind of fell down and i saw aha uh -huh, i can make more money singing and i can be skiing all day instead of you know working with the beginners on the on the baby right, lift right so that led to a few more seasons and ultimately you know, I really only taught history for a couple of years, you know, to give it a trial. But, you know, I spent the next 50 years or so ski bombing. Well, I was going to ask you that because since uh, Bob uh, sent me the message at uh, midnight, my time almost, I was like, so I've done a bunch of research. And uh, I was like, okay, I listened to uh, Jackson Hogan and you do a podcast. And then uh, the young woman on uh, Snow Planners. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, mm -hmm. so I was kind of thinking, that, you know, Bob says, oh, well, you've got tons of stories and all sorts of stuff. And it's like, okay, well, I don't want to duplicate what other people have. And and just so you know, I'm recording all this right now anyways because there's always yeah, some good gems, good gems that come out when you're not recording. So I try to record everything and, and that sort of stuff. So um, anyways, I, I didn't know that you did actually teach because I, I read in, in a bio of yours that, you know, your dad was kind of disappointed that you didn't continue with teaching and and uh, got into uh, the ski bum life. And so you answered the question of how you ended up in the ski bum life. So my question is, where and how did you and Bob meet? Well, that was that was an that's an interesting story. There, you know, they're all interesting stories, and we were actually just talking today about how. You know, one of the important things about skiing is actually that it's a social sport. Oh, definitely. And, you know, it, it's not only the, the skiing, but apre ski and everything. Yeah. But, you know, you you ski together a run, and it, you know, might be a long run or it might be a short one. And then, you you know, you're sitting on the lift with somebody and you right. have time to chat. And, and, you, and it's one of those wonderful activities that you can do all day long and really get to know people in a different way than when you're just sitting at a cocktail party or eating a dinner. Um, you know, you, you experience life together. Sometimes it, when you're skiing at an elite level, you know, you, you risk your life together. Right. I don't like to do that much anymore or at all. <laughs> to be honest. Um, so you're, you're, you're getting wiser as, as the years accumulate or the experience accumulates behind you. <laughs> well, you would think so, but yesterday, my my one of my best old ski buddies and i we were guiding um, a group in in italy in la tuile mm -hmm. and was actually a nice powder day 
and uh, was fine. And he was the tail guide, and I was the the lead guide. And at the end of the day, it was I, we were just skiing the the easy piece back down to the village. Right. And instead of him being the tail guide, which he's supposed to be anyway, you know, he thought, well, this is just you know, right. we, we don't need this. It's not off piste, and and. He started skiing fast, and we were both skiing an easy piece, and he crashed into me. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and I took a just a really horrendous fall because um, we are going fast. And, and when I got here to Bob's place, I could literally hardly walk. Oh. I, st- I still skied down, but I was like, you know, just holding on to his shoulder or, or anything uh, today I'm a little better, so I'm hoping it's. Coming. He's much better today. Tomorrow he's going to be. <laughs> be okay. I'm crossing my fingers. But anyway, I'm going to get back to how Bob and I met, um, which is also an. Uh, well, it's part of the whole story. When I when I first, the first time my book Skiing Around the World was published. I was doing a lot of work with Nokia. Nokia was right. you know, top of the, of the world at that time. Um, and I did various events for them. And so there was an event here in, in Verbier where the, I think it was the Dutch or it might have been the whole Benelux representative for Nokia, you know, had maybe 40 or 50 people uh, to go skiing for three days and invited me uh, to come and and everybody would get a book and I was going to do a little presentation and, and sing some songs and, and so on. And, and Bob was working at that hotel right at the reception. Okay. But, but little did I realize it's Jimmy. I had no idea. You know, right. He right. was holding court in the restaurant. Right. Just uh, through the open door I saw, but I, uh, you know, I just hung out. I wish I would have known. I, I wish I would have just went in and said, hello. Right. And, and, you know, but the, whatever it was, what it was, and but Jimmy was holding court, you know, right? And it was like, God, what's going on? Is this, you know, everyone's he's playing guitar, uh, and everyone is it's raucous, it was amazing, and uh, voila, and then and then I was in Antarctica, you were right, so I was in Antarctica. Okay. Okay. And, and um, I had a friend I was traveling with before, you know, in South America. And uh, to make a long story short, she sent me as a gift. She sent me this book. Right. Uh, she sent it to me, and she had sent it to my roommate, who was from Alaska, a roommate there, on the boat to Antarctica. Right. Okay. And, and this book showed up uh, just out of the blue. This tone, this thing is huge. <laughs> well, I it's heard, like, I heard it's like five pounds, two kilos, or something. And, like and that. it was skiing around the world. Yeah. And 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 she said uh, she wrote a message like you know uh, you know like uh, enjoy this book or something. She wrote something like this, and I was like floored. I was floored. I was like, look at this book. This book is, and and it has been my tome of of trying to. Uh, uh, adventure right adventure to to travel to different countries it, it opened up this the that first book opened my mind up 
and I live in Europe now, so it's a little bit easier to do travel to different countries. It's not like being in America or Canada. <laughs> yeah, my, where, my where wife's... You know, you're in Canada where you, there's America to the south and, yeah. and Alaska, you know. Yeah. In Europe, there's a lot of countries, huh? Yeah, for sure. And there's a lot of them that you can ski in. And a lot of them you can ski in. Right. And, and so, so uh, this gift, I opened it up, and I, it was this big white book, and it was two and a half inches thick. You know, and I was like, Jesus, what the hell is this thing? And I opened it up, and it opened my world wow. up. Really? Well, it's it, I actually, but you know... <laughs> Bob is a great marketing guy for me, um, but but you know what? Let's stop there, and because I know when you were when you were on the Snow Planners uh, podcast there with that young woman, you said we should have said this at the beginning. So what's the name <laughs> okay. of the book and where you get it? Let's take care of that business first of all. All right. Well, <laughs> I mean, actually, I'm I'm sorry to say, or maybe ashamed to say, but I don't have any good vehicle uh, for sending it to Canada. Oh, that's because all right. When, when I was, you know, putting my whole plan to, you know, a business plan together, yep, yep. Um, I have friends in, in, in Canada, of course, and, and I was talking with some of them to be the, uh, let's say, Canadian shipping agent, you right. know, help me out, yep. you know, and then, you know, if I set, send a whole, uh, you know, a larger shipment yep. in one, then it doesn't cost as much, and then they should ship within Canada. That's what I usually do. It's what I did with the U.S., mm. and that's what I, I've done with France and, and with Switzerland and so on. Right. Um, but in any case, it was so expensive even to ship within Canada. Really? And it was a very convoluted thing where there was no set price that, you okay, it's going to cost 20 bucks or 15 bucks, whatever, to, to ship, it was like okay. It depends on the address. It does, it just yeah. Made it so difficult, and so. Um, but that's I okay. Have I have really... listeners. I have, I have. When, when I look at the analytics or the metrics and stuff like that, there are people in Europe who listen to this. So. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, there's there's about <laughs> there's about fifteen or, or eighteen countries that we ship to. Most of them are, are European countries. Um, you know, United States, of course, is is on there, um, and other you know other countries. It was too difficult. Now I have shipped some books to Canada. You know, so I'll get an email from somebody, and 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 they'll say, "Gee, we we wanted to buy your book, and and we don't find you know it's it's not possible on your website." Right. And I'll say, "Well, you know, I'll write them a long email back and say, well, you can buy it, but you know, it unfortunately it costs like you know." Forty-five dollars to to ship the books, right? Um, so if you want willing to do that, so you know. the books are huge. They're so well. When when, when you said it was together, are like it's they're like it's like ten pounds a yeah. book. You, you were saying it was like two and a half it's inches insane. thick. So I have this, uh, I think, National Geographic book uh, that's uh, U.S. <laughs> yeah. National Parks, and it's like two and a half inches thick and fourteen yeah. inches taller. <laughs> 16 inches tall. Yeah, so I can imagine how big that book is. Yeah, yeah. It's, Keith, it's insane, man. So this is, I use, and, and uh, you told me, you said, you, you didn't read it all the way through. I said, no, I didn't read it all the way through. I, 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 I use it as idea. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about going to East, 
and so I look it up. Right. I use it as a it's your atlas. As an encyclopedia yeah. of what I'm gonna do. Yeah. You know, and then I and then I write notes down from his book. This right. is the way I work. Right. You know, I'm. You know, I don't. Yeah, I, I will. I'll eventually. I'll, I'll read all the, <laughs> all the way through one. Fat chance. No, 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 no. But but in reality, it's the truth. In reality, it's like okay, this is my next region I'm, I'm thinking about. Right. Well, I think, and, and so I go and I look it up, and you know, this is the way I work. Right. I think I think most most people, Keith, use the. I mean, first of all, they're both coffee table books, yeah. as you know. Um, so there's lots of there's lots of photographs which which people like, but there's a lot of meat, a lot of content in the in the books as well, and they're not written like a, a, as a guidebook. Right. They're more written in an experiential manner. Mm -hmm. So if you read the chapter on whatever, Morocco or Iran or, or Verbier, um, I think anybody will get an idea, well, this is something that would suit my ability and, and you know, my interest, or no, this isn't for me. Right. And many places, you know, if you've skied that many countries, um, there's a lot of countries in the books that really nobody would go really for the purpose of skiing. Right. Uh, well, I know when you said Uganda, I was like, you can ski there. <laughs> right. Right. But Uganda, you, you could go there for the, the adventure of right. trekking. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But you know, to go to Estonia or Belarus yes. or uh, Lithuania, mm -hmm. uh, you know, for skiing, you know, that's a joke. You know, the, 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 biggest lift in the in the country you know has about 100 vertical meters but that's what we ski around here <laughs> well but the, the, the point is that that it's if you're a skier who cares it's exactly fun, it's fun to to enjoy and learn about the culture of a different country and to meet people and if you're a skier you know why not bring the skis along and exactly. that's a great place to meet people yeah right? yeah well you know what like our little hill we we I never really skied. I was a basketball player, and I wanted to play college ball. And how like, tall are you? Uh, six foot six. I think you're six foot six. Yeah. Jesus Christ! You're so you're a center then. Uh well, in high school I was. In university, I was a small forward. You're, you're really you're six foot six. Jesus Christ! I didn't realize. That. <laughs> oh yeah. I thought you were like five ten. Oh no 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 yeah so uh, and, and that's you know another thing. You know, well, I'll get back to the original part. Our little hill is twenty minutes away, and we got our uh, ski passes there when our children were young, and we did that on purpose to teach them. It was a good small controlled environment mm -hmm. to teach them about ski culture and how to navigate a little resort, a little hill, so that we could impart this adventure or type of lifestyle for them so that they can continue it in their adulthood and pass it on to their children. Absolutely. That's the most, I mean, in the end, the most important thing we probably do in our life is raising our children. Right. Exactly. And, and, you know, that includes passing on our passions to them, which you hope as you get older, uh, as I, you probably know, though you're not as old, old as me, <laughs> but the long stretch, but the older I get, you know, as you know, you don't have that many years left. Right. What you leave behind is your children yeah. and, you know, maybe your grandchildren, if you're lucky and, you know, those family traditions and, and uh, that's your, 
legacy. Yeah. Oh, that, that's like I um, I don't know if Bob's giving you my backstory, but uh, I used to run uh, Telemark Ski Ontario, which is kind of a racing social organization. And then I I wasn't fast enough to step backwards like everybody else did. And I ended up running Telemark Ski Canada, which put kids in the World Cup to race. Right. And uh, so I have a passion for that. So when I have uh, my kids' partners, when they first kind of joined the family and they're getting back into skiing, and I was like, you suck anyway, so why don't you try telemark skiing? I got a fleet of gear. I'll lend you the stuff, and, uh, you know, away we go. And I kind of co-op kids into that. And uh, as we disbanded Telemark Ski Ontario, I bought a few sets of gear, little gear, for uh, my granddaughter, who's only 10 months old, but it'll sit there <laughs> waiting for her. <laughs> but uh, my wife and I were just talking about getting a pair of those uh, Carhu plastic uh, skis that they can just traipse around at the bottom of the resort, and they think they're skiing, right, when they're like 18 months old? Well, they are skiing. <laughs> yeah. So you're really, you're really starting them early. And I oh. have a – I discovered uh, – a photo of myself in one of my, well, when my parents passed away, you know, I ended up with all these old, old photo albums, which I'd seen before, of course, but I, I see, there's a photo of me, you know, holding. You a didn't really of, scrutinize the photo album. Well, <laughs> then yeah. he started scrutinizing. Yeah, there's a photo of me when I'm one year old, you know, holding a pair of skis. <laughs> all right on. <laughs> I got my first pair at a, at a year, even though I, they weren't put on my feet at that time right i probably could hardly stand right <laughs> right they, they knew they just so so in the spirit of kind of keeping this different than the other podcasts that i've seen and, and things that i read so you have a quadrillion good stories what's your best story well i mean the best stories you know they're probably about girls so i don't know if you <laughs> want to hear them. okay ski stories <laughs> <laughs> I love, you know what? I love the one that you said with uh, Sylvain. I can't remember his last name here. I wrote it down. Sylvain Sodan. Sylvain Sodan. We yeah. were just talking about him tonight. Yeah, because that. Go that, meet him. Oh, really? He's, he's going to meet Sylvain Sodan next week. Oh, yeah. nice. A few days, actually. Yeah, yeah. End, of, end of the week. Yeah. Dude, the guy's my hero. You know, he's, he's the father of extreme skiing. Right. He's the first guy to go into steep terrain on purpose. Right. And, for the reason of trying to ski steeps. Right. So, so you, you wanted to know about a story about Sylvain? Well, or, or, or whatever, you know, kind of, kind of like that. It's, it's, I, well, I can't remember Les's last name because I think he's changed his name from, because a friend of mine knows him. He's a, uh, a writer who's been in Powder Magazine. He wrote a book. I can't Les Anthony. Yeah, Les yeah, Anthony. Les, Les and, Anthony. <clears throat> and he talks about skiing in, uh, um, geez, in the uh, in the Middle East, there around Jerusalem, or uh, Israel, or, or yeah, and they're they're in this one spot where they'd taken a taxi, and I think it, it might have been a Lada, and the guy's driving, and there's a checkpoint, and the guy rolls down the window, and he's AK forty sevens come in the window or something like that, and then puts a cigarette out in the barrel, goes out. Because everybody needs to inspect the inspect the vehicle, and they go past this checkpoint, and they're getting to this place to go ski, and there's this big map on the wall, and he said, "Well, what, can we go ski over here?" 
And it's like, well, no, we can't go there. What, what are these black things? Well, that's where all the landmines are. You know, right, <laughs> right, yeah. I was like, wow. <laughs> like, yeah, so. Well, one of the, I mean, there's a lot of good stories with, with uh, well, Sylvan, for one thing, Sudan is a fantastic storyteller himself. Right. Uh, but the stories that I have with him, so he, when he was kind of, pretty much done with all of his steep skiing exploits that already had put him in the Guinness Book of Records and so on. He was in his, you know, mid to late 50s. Right. And he started a heli-skiing operation in Kashmir in northern India. And, you know, I read about that in one of the ski magazines, and I, and I thought, wow, that's, you know, I got to try, you know, I hope I could try that. And... Um, so I contacted him and, and told him I was a journalist and I hoped he could invite me for a free trip, which he did. I mean, I had to pay my flight. Right. But, you know, we're, we're ski bums. We really can't afford, you know, to do that kind of stuff unless we're invited. Um, so I, I actually was there a, a few times with him. Now, the first, you know, Kashmir, as you know, has been a trouble spot with, with, all kinds of terrorism and, and uh, insurrection and so on for a long time. And the first time I was there, which was way back in 1989, there was a bit of a pause, let's say, in, in, in that. Right. And, but it was, so it, it was fine. Um, we really, you know, enjoyed it. Then I went back in 94. Now at that time, there was a lot of trouble. All tourism, even local Indian tourism, had, had ended. Right. And the five-star hotel that we were that we had stayed in, and we still were staying in now a second time. I mean, it looked like a slum. It, <laughs> right. The, the it was housing because there hadn't been any tourism for a while, and the the government was was housing. Uh, Indian government officials in the hotel and trying to protect them from Kashmiri rebels. Right. So the the whole compound was surrounded by by you know guns and and people and checkpoints with with their weapons and and sandbags and and stuff like that. And then the the in the in the foyer or sort of this this patio in the middle of this of this building uh, or the building was sort of surrounding right. it. You know, every morning you have these troops like doing exercises and drills <laughs> and marching. Um, and there was no reception or anything. And Sylvan had just, you know, he was using the hotel and he had one of his employees using one of the suites as the reception. So we'd have to check into this suite and then get our key and, and so on. Now, the, the more interesting part of this was, <coughs> excuse me, beer, beer there, Bob. Um, for a while, I was, I was there with a friend of mine who'd never been there before, and I wanted him to have the experience of of staying on a houseboat. Because oh, uh, right. Srinagar is is famous in, in normal times for these beautiful houseboats. 
They were built by the British um, in the 1800s originally when they were, and early 1900s when, you know, they, they colonized this area. And the, the local law was that only Kashmiri people could own land. So the British built these houseboats so they could own their own home. Right. Well, over the years, of course, this became a real tourist attraction, these houseboats. So I wanted my friend, you know, let's go live on a houseboat instead of in this, in this you know, five-star hotel, which wasn't really much of a five-star anymore. <laughs> um, well, there hadn't been any tourism in, in Kashmir for like a couple of years. So we had a guy who was a taxi driver, you know, he hadn't had a fare. <laughs> right. Um, he would just stand, you know, parked outside the hotel whenever we wanted to, you know, go go to the houseboat, he would he would drive us. Well, a lot of times we would we'd eat dinner with the group in the hotel mm-hmm. and then you know, maybe eleven at night or something, say, Okay, you know, take us back to the houseboat. So when he was driving you know, he would have the, the light on, right. you know, usually it's, you don't have the, the in, interior light on in your yes, car. Correct. And I, I said, you know, isn't it difficult to drive? Why do you have the light on? He said, well, you know, the, the Indian soldiers here, they get very, uh, they start drinking when the, when it gets dark, you know, and then they get a little trigger happy. Oh. <laughs> uh, I, I want to make sure they, they see that I have white tourists <laughs> in the car. So, you know, that's uh, that doesn't have much to do with... <clears throat> so, with Srin- so Srinagar must have been amazing. It was amazing, right? Yeah, Sri- Srinagar, I think, is one... Well, Kashmir as a whole, but Srinagar is one of the... And you were there in early on. You just explained that. You were there early, early on. Yeah, but it's still... It, 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 you know, it hasn't changed. It, it, it is one of the most unique cultures that I visited, mm-hmm. and I've, I, you know, I visited maybe 95 countries. Of course you have. And um, yeah. so that it's a, it, you know, you stay on the houseboat, and then these. It's, these, it's not bad for an LA boy, huh? No. <laughs> these gondolas. There's two LA boys. <laughs> gondol- no, no, but no bullshit. That's amazing. It's it's it. You, you got to get there. I'm floored by your, your history. I am floored by your history. Uh, this story you just told about Srinagar, uh, it, it, it's amazing to me. It's it's stunning to me. He's got, he's got cojones because I've got a friend, and uh, he's from Israel, and I was like, I found out that you could go ski. I think it's the Cypress Mountains in Lebanon. And yeah, well, I was, yeah, you can ski in Lebanon. Yeah, and I, in Israel. What's that? You can ski in Israel too. Right, and I was like, "Oh man, I don't think I'd ever go there because what goes on." And he's like, so "Dude, I, the media." Skied, what's that? I skied in Israel. Oh, have you? Years, and it was in th- right before the COVID, whatever. Oh yeah, three years. Right, and, and it was insane. Really, Fuck. really. You should see the photographs. There, we shot photos. It was like it was like one of the best ski trips I've ever done in my life. Right. Well, my, my landmines around, right? You, know, you have to be careful yeah. a little bit. <laughs> I know. Well, my friend Steven said, said, uh, you know, he goes, Oh, no, it's safe. I said, But dude, what I see on the news, he goes, You <laughs> pussy. He goes, Media does what media does and hypes it all up. He says, You can get in there and go and ski, and it's all right. Well, there's no, there's no hype. There, there are, like, yeah. you, know, you have to be careful. No, but, but I, think, <clears throat> I think, Keith, what, what your friend Steve said 
is actually true. You know, there's so many places. When I was in Lebanon, it was illegal <clears throat> for an American to go there. Mm -hmm. If they right. get a stamp in your passport, it's $10,000 fine. Wow. But, of course, they didn't, you know, they knew that, and they wouldn't stamp your passport. They just put your, your, your stamp into a slip of paper that you could throw away uh, mm -hmm. afterwards. And, and Lebanon was, this was, of course, because there had been that incident, you know, when a terrorist, you know, drove through the, crashed through the gate at the uh, embassy right. compound mm, yeah. and, and uh, blew up a bunch of people. <clears throat> but that was so many years earlier. Right. And, you know, the U.S. being, well, being what it is, you know, they just kept that, that uh, status for the longest time. Well, you got to Lebanon, where was the absolute most hospitable most kind people you could meet and there was you didn't have even an iota of of thought that there was some danger right you just had a great time and the same goes for iran for that right. matter um which i was which i visited on a on a completely different trip and again just to give you an idea of the hospitality we were at a restaurant. I was with two Swedish guys in Iran. And, <clears throat> you know, we, we bought some food. It was a kind of cafeteria style. So you bought the food and, and paid the cashier. And, it, you know, they're not used to seeing too many tourists. And the cashier, you know, said hello and, you know, where right. you come from, exchanged a few words. And uh, <clears throat> when we sat down and maybe 10 minutes later, he came over and he said, excuse me, you know, I'm getting off work in about 20 minutes. If you'd like, I would love to invite you to a tea house. Uh, and and uh, yeah, so yeah, sure. You know, so we went to one of these tea houses where they smoke the the whole you know the yep. water pipe and and uh, you know, complete stranger. Yeah. So that's the kind of thing that was happening, you know, all the time in a way in Iran. Right. Wow. That's cool. It just floors my mind about about that and uh you know just having the i don't know i'm gonna say the balls There's 195 countries in the world that's I right yeah 195 or 97 i don't know something like that um there was a guy who a british guy who he hit every country really yeah, and he was it was like a Reddit thing. And right. People were asking questions and shit, and he and he and they the, the question was was uh, it was a uh, uh, what was what was your favorite country? And he said he said Iran. He said I, I I've never met kinder more kinder people. Well, in that, any country. Yeah, you you know what it's it's like you know, Iran. what's what's going on in. Uh, Russia and Ukraine, you know, it's it's like it's not about the Russian people; it's about the freaking government. No, and no, I, th I think it, you said that in one of the podcasts. Um, it's, 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 exactly yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. My all our Russian buddies, yeah. they're fucking freaked out, and they're and they they're sickened by this. Right. Of course. Yeah. Of course. No, it's it's a shame. <clears throat> I mean, to begin with, certain countries are are demonized, right? Especially by the United States, but also by other Western Western countries, because it the the flow of information right. <clears throat> is shared, and to obviously 
I don't even, I don't really like it, even if a country's government is necessarily demonized. But there are many people that are really have, you know, too uneducated to understand the difference between a government and the people of the country. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I know, I know that's, Iran I would a joke. Example of this. What's that? Iran is a perfect example of what just yeah. Jimmy just said. Right. It, right. It's like, you know, the, the government sucks. They, they blow completely. Yeah. But the people yeah. are the friendliest fucking people you – excuse my language. <laughs> That's all right, man. I don't care. It, it's insane. Yeah. Well, that that was and like what was – amazing there. Right. That was like what's happening south of the border with the 45th president. And, I, you know, I talked to all my friends who are American or if we're down in, in the U.S. And they're, like, apologizing. It's like, dude, we're not judging you guys. You know, and I said, and if you're worried and you need to leave, I can uh, I can have uh, support uh, American refugees if you want. <laughs> well, <clears throat> unfortunately, uh, or it, I mean, there is a different, you know, it's it's oh, good. Yeah. And it's correct what you say that you're not judging your friend who, who's apologizing for uh, for the president of the United States. But. In, in fact, in a country that's a democracy, the people are somewhat to yes. blame. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, no. yeah. that's a, yeah. There's a yeah. portion of the population that is to blame for that. That's right. Yeah. 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 Whereas in, in a country like like Russia, obviously, yes. that's not the case. No you know, there, I'm sure there. Are, Putin has his supporters also, but yeah. basically, um, certainly, I also have. Actually, I was with a a handful of Russians two weeks ago for this event I was working on. And, you know, they all... Where, in Austria? No, in, in, in Switzerland. Mm -hmm. I, I, I do some... I, I organize some corporate events. Right. Mm -hmm. And there was a big multinational uh, company. And they, they normally have offices, among other places, in Moscow. They have one in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. They have one in London and one in Berlin and perhaps a few others, but already some time ago, they this moved. This was like two weeks ago? Yeah. yeah. Jesus they, Christ. They, really? they moved their, they closed their Moscow office even before this started mm -hmm. and, and moved everybody to Cyprus um, <laughs> because they just didn't like what was, right. what, what was happening. Of course. <laughs> it's always, it's a yeah. situation. So let, let's wow. get back, let's get uh, back to, so, so you're in Kashmir and uh, we've got that story. Um, okay, let, I'll, Keith, I'll tell you another yeah. story, which which gets into Sylvan a little more. Oh, okay. So he's he's a, he's although, as I said, you know, he's one of the first extreme skiers, mm -hmm. and now he's running this heli skiing operation. But he's an adventurer. In the Himalayas, he's an adventurer, obviously. Right. Yeah. And the difference. Like if you heli-ski in Canada or most places in the world <clears throat> at this point in time, in any case, they have their tried and true landing spots. And there's a little mm -hmm. flag there. You know, right. It might be 50 landing spots um, and, and various different descents from each landing spot. But everything's been, you know, tested and retested and, and everything. Well, you know, with, with Sylvain Sedan, in one week, there's probably at least a half dozen times that he that he says, well, we have never landed here. This would be a first descent. <laughs> um, 
you know, and, and you're thinking, you know, I'm in, I'm in awe. It's like I'm standing <laughs> on a place that probably no human being has ever stood. Right. And I'm going to ski down, you know, a nameless <laughs> peak in the Himalayas that nobody has ever skied. Right. Uh, your battery is getting down. Okay. All right. We'll keep it going. Keep um, it going. I'll plug in. And so, I mean, that's a very, uh, well, it certainly <clears throat> affected me. The other side of the coin, Keith, is that with that kind of uh, policy, or you know, there's more. There is more danger involved. For sure. Yeah. So we had a huge storm. I mean, it came, about two meters of snow fell in this storm, and of course, the you know you couldn't you couldn't ski because the helicopters couldn't fly. <clears throat> so we had a you know a number of days where we were just grounded. And then comes a bluebird day, and I, you know, I'm saying to my buddy, I said, Jesus, this is impossible. I mean, any place that is steep enough to ski with this much new snow is going to be dangerous. Right. Places that are, you know, 20 degrees, you're not even going to be able to make a turn. Right. You know, I wonder what, what, what are they going to do? And uh, he said, well, you know, let's see. <laughs> I said, okay. <laughs> um, so... We start out, and, and the trees grow very high in the Himalayas. So the tree line, you have, you know, trees, you know, pine trees, rhododendron trees growing up to about 3,600 meters. Oh, wow. So, you know, that's what, 11,000, you know, yes. 10,500 feet, 11,000 feet. <clears throat> and um, so he takes us some, some nice steep places in the trees, kind of ridges, and great, you know, and, and – after a while, we kind of turn off our brain a little bit and think, well, okay, you know, they know better. Um, well, after we'd done a few runs there and it was getting skied out, and then we go to a big open bowl, um, and we're skiing there three or four times. Nice. Beautiful. I mean, we're, we're probably, you know, even though so much snow has come, but, you know, we're, we're sinking in maybe, uh, you know, 60, 70 centimeters. Right. And it's... Uh, you know, fluffy. Yeah. Well, our, our you know euphoria uh, came to a <clears throat> a quick end when suddenly I was just uh, we had just bunched our skis together and tied them up to put under the carriage of the helicopter. Helicopter was taking the first group up, and all of a sudden the voice of uh, of the pilot comes over Sylvan's walkie-talkie. Attention, Sylvain, un avalanche grand. And the whole mountainside. Il parle français ou allemand? Well, he speaks French. Yeah, he speaks French. The whole mountainside where we've just been skiing is coming down. And there's this snow cloud, you know, about 100 meters into the sky. And I, you know, I think we're dead. We've got no chance. This is gigantic. And... You could, we, and we don't have skis on, so we can't try to ski off to the side. Right. Or so there's some some big old growth trees, maybe 50 meters away, and I think, okay, we've got to try to get to those trees because those are not in an avalanche in a normal avalanche path. Right. And we're to, you know kind of elbowing our way, you know, crawling, you know, like a World War One soldier in the trenches. Yeah. <laughs> trying to get to this and and you can't help but every 
you know, few seconds, look up and see this cloud coming closer. And it's the only time in my life I felt terror, wow. you know, which, which if you have felt it, it's, it's, you know, above fear. I, I, you know, I can't quite describe it other than to say that it's a completely different level. Anyway, we made it, I made it, and about half the people made it to these trees, and half the people made it halfway, and it got about 25 meters away from where we'd been standing when we first saw the avalanche. That's insane. And, and, and everybody was safe. Oh. But where we'd been standing was covered with about eight meters of snow. Wow. And the avalanche was three kilometers long. Wow. I mean... You know, people get killed in an avalanche that, that goes, you know, yeah. 30, 40 meters. Um, so you're buried, you're buried. Yeah, you know, but... but That's humongous. Yeah, but it, anyway, I still love Sylvain. Yeah. I don't, I don't blame him yeah. <laughs> for that, but he's an adventurer, and... Um, I can't wait to meet him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come. I'm gonna yeah, come. Yeah, yeah. No, because I need to meet him. <laughs> because it's... Because uh, he's your, your idol. Yeah, absolutely. He's he's the original badass motherfucker, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, Seriously. This is what happens when Bob's had a few beers. You know, everything is fun. Well, I don't, I, don't, I don't know how the hell you guys do this, man, because I'm the baby of the three of us, and... Uh, what is it? Eleven thirty there, or eleven o'clock? Eleven p.m. or something. Yeah, it's yeah. about eleven. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I yeah, was. But up. I didn't. Sorry, go ahead. No, I didn't ski today, so I've got energy. <laughs> you know, I was because up late watching. Oh, I was up late watching the Grammys last night, and I was like, because I, I, you know, at at my cottage, I go to the cottage in the wintertime to ski. I go to bed so I can get up. And, and when my girls were young, you know, you were paying four lift tickets, say, at J. Peak or Sunday River or something like that. It's like first chair, last chair. And my sister is like, ah, oh, you know, she was an executive, no kids. And I said, well, you have a vehicle. There could be an early ski bus and a later ski bus, you know. Right. Yeah. So, like, it, today I was when, – when I called you earlier and Bob says, oh, we got to do this later, I was like, oh, perfect. I can have a bit of a nap because I was dragging my ass around <laughs> all afternoon. I had a cup of coffee. It didn't do anything. I still went right and had a nap for about a half an hour. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know how Bob does it because whenever I talk to him, it's got to be close to 11 o'clock or after midnight. Uh, you know, well, it, he's, it, on a, he's on a different time yeah, schedule. Absolutely. You know, he works nights. He works graveyard shift. Uh, so I don't even. What do you do for a living, Bob? I, I, I that's a good question. I, <laughs> uh, Everything. I, I, I ski. I don't know. I, <laughs> well, that's I, what I figured. I don't sleep that much, and then I'm doing Telemark Journal. Right. Uh, number four is going to be out, uh, and number four is going to be a uh, volume four is coming out in the next like two weeks. Oh, awesome. Supposed to be out in December. Yeah. Now we're in April. Okay, so it's so it's four months. Well, it's ski season. It's ski season. It's kind of hard to do stuff when you. No, got but ski I know, season. I know, I know. Uh, the thing is, uh, uh, we're going to put out a, a product that's it, it's it's it. The thing, everything about Telmark, all right, yep. is going to be is distilled in volume four. Oh, good. The, I, everything, everything you've ever. 
<laughs> thought about Telmar is is in volume four. Now I, I wonder if my and then we have to go to volume five right away. Two sweet five. Right. Okay. So I'm gonna get on my buddy because he did. Remember I told you that he uh, led <laughs> that uh, Russian Canadian expedition yes. in Siberia. So he did draft have his first draft, and I went over it with him. And I don't know if he's done yeah. anything else with it. Send that shit, man. <laughs> yeah, because he's got some great pictures. Because what I got from him was he went <laughs> over to Russia. They did this uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> ski touring in, in northern Siberia. And, and then mm -hmm. the Russians came to Canada. So he's, he's got the whole thing there with photos. So and this is sort of what stuff. we're all about. You know? Yeah. This is, these are the stories we want. That's right. I, we just want to pull that shit in. Yeah. And and, and, uh, and then we're going to write. We're, we put it. We, we straighten it out. Yeah. You know, and then uh, get the photos correctly. Yeah. And then make a book and then boom. Right. And uh, this is it, man. So um, to all our Telemark readers, send the stories in, man. Yeah. <laughs> send them in. Absolutely. Cool. Cool. So, Keith, have you been you've been skiing over in, in the Alps as well? I, I, or, you know what, I kind of think maybe it was a problem of my career, but uh, I don't like large groups of people, and uh, I don't mind flying, but I fucking hate the airport. You don't like flying, okay? No, no, I don't mind flying. I don't mind it, but I just hate the airport. I remember my 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 best story about skiing really has a little bit to do with skiing but I, my my buddy Josh Madsen's got his shop in Salt Lake City. Yep. He was having an end of the year uh party and I said to my wife, "Hey, let's fly to Salt Lake City and uh, surprise Josh." And she's like, "You don't really like the flying experience. You're going to fly there for the weekend? Like you're just going to go there for the weekend?" And I said, "Well, how is that any different than me going to the cottage and skiing Jay Peak? My cottage is 6 hours from here." And so. I go there for the weekend and come back. Anyway, so I said, okay, we won't go. So then she does a little bit of research, and she says, you know the off-season to fly from Toronto to Salt Lake City is like December, January? I was like, oh, I didn't know that. And then she says the magical words, I can send you. And I was like, oh, yeah, you're going to send me. <laughs> so, you know, she she sent me off down there. But... I, th I flew out, I think, on December 27th, and, like, every 20 feet, I had to show my passport in the airport. And then coming home, I didn't realize mm -hmm. I'd be on coming into Pearson when everybody else is coming back, and I got down into where the Canadian Customs is, and I looked, and I was like, holy shit. Uh, I'm just going to drive next time. I'm not going to fly. <laughs> And, Salt Lake City. Uh, yeah, and you know what? My, my family was planning a trip. My sister was planning a trip to Big Sky, and there really isn't any easy way to get the Big Sky. And I said, so we're going to have to fly to Calgary, probably, and then take a little regional airplane. I don't even know if our gear will get there with the whole gang of us. I said, you know what? I'll just drive. I said, I'll throw the gear in the truck. And then my daughter and her boyfriend says, we'll come with you. So I said, three people, 27 hours? We can do this. No problem. You know? <laughs> see, see, exactly. Sometimes I, I'm like, I just want to drive. Instead of buying an airplane ticket, yeah. I just fucking drive. Yeah. Well, it's nice. I mean, there's a lot of advantages to driving. 
just because you know you can stop autonomous you can yeah you you're on your own you can stop and and be, oh there's a little off road you're not on a, in a rent a car to yeah. see a you're ghost, in your own ghost, car ghost town and, and you know whatever it might be yeah uh, that's that's cool especially when you're going to I mean it's okay I mean I I fly places and then rent a car right I mean I don't in, in yeah we would have rented a van a full size you know a ten passenger van. But I was like, yeah, no, I don't, I don't want to fly there. I'll just, I'll just drive. But it's like, <clears throat> I don't know if Bob has seen the posts, but I, I've got like a, a big three quarter ton truck, and I have a forty, forty three foot fifth wheel that I pull behind it. Yeah, but how big is your truck? Well, the the tr- it's a it's a three quarter ton, like an F two fifty diesel. Yeah. And, and a I, Ford. Yeah, yeah, because they have they've got the most power and the most torque. And you have a camper on there. Well, no, I, no, I have a forty-three foot fifth wheel. Oh no, shit! So when really? when when the guys when the World Cup came to Vermont and I oh I befriended God. some of the guys on on uh, social media and when we met in person and they saw what I was driving and this one guy, <clears throat> he says, "You need a special permit to drive something like that in <laughs> England." <laughs> Huge trailer. Really? You know, so you know it's what? like an apartment. You're 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 acting like like an apartment. Basically. Yeah, but you know what? It's it's a toy hauler. So the back quarter of it is is got some sleeping stuff, but it's like they call it a garage. Most Americans put motorcycles in there, but we have human powered toys. So we have paddle boards. Are you pretty good at backing that shit up? Yeah, I grew up on on my uncle's farm, so I wasn't allowed to drive a tractor until I could back up two full hay wagons into the barn. <laughs> <laughs> so okay you're really you're really know you know what you're doing well you, you, know you just you just have to go slow you just have to go slow yeah. that's all i have a my wife's cousin yeah. drives technique. you learn techniques yeah for yeah. sure yeah and, and like my, my one daughter who's a firefighter you know she drives big trucks all the time and people are like what you drive that <laughs> yeah so but when you're my size i get out of my truck it's like you guys getting out of a f-150 or a, you know uh, a fifteen hundred. <laughs> but once once you once you park that thing, you're like, yeah, this killer apartment. Yeah. Like, right. Oh yeah, exactly. Here. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, people walk into it and they're like, holy shit. <laughs> it's like, oh my god, this is amazing. I know one of one of my wife's girlfriends. She was uh, when we bought the trailer. She's like, you know, they have trailers that have islands in them. And Sean goes, yeah, we have an island. And they have fireplaces in them too, electric fireplaces. And Sean's like, "Yeah, we we have an electric fireplace because we wanted it because we want a ski tour, and we had planned this huge trip, and then freaking COVID hit because we were gonna go from Toronto to Chicago, take Route sixty six south to Arizona, New Mexico, because I have friends who live there. They like they they live in Taos and and that sort of mm-hmm. stuff. But I don't know. You, you may know of seeing him on social media. Alex LeBlanc, Bob. Yeah, yeah, Clark. yeah. So he, he, yeah, he's a pro patroller at Angel yeah, Fire. I love the guy. He's yeah. a great dude. Yeah, fucking great dude. <clears throat> anyway, so and then we were gonna work our way because I have friends all through the American Rockies, and out in the Pacific Northwest, and then up into Canada and all that sort of stuff. It's still on the radar to do once all this COVID stuff is really calmed down. Can I say something? Yeah. I'm very happy that, that we all know each other and, and we're this group together and, and we all know each other. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's fucking a great thing. Yeah. You just mentioned Alex, you know. It was like it, yeah. it, it, 
it clicked in my head that we all were just this little group, you know. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned that too today. Um, that 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 uh, the ski community is very small, actually. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's there's a lot of us, but it's very small, actually. Well, we all know each other. Yeah. I mean, there actually here in in Verbier, because it's one of these uh, iconic ski resorts. Guys like like Bob, who came over many years ago, and you know somehow got stuck in a positive way in in Verbier, and in those you know now I think it's it's different because you know there you know there's you know two. You can't be a ski bum like in the old days. No, well, there's, yeah, there's, there's two yeah. generations of, of people since you know yeah. he and I started coming over here. But in those days, and people like himself who are a lifelong ski bum, yeah, who who made a choice that mm-hmm. I'm not going to climb the corporate ladder. Uh, I would rather. I can give a shit about that crap. Right. I just want to ski. Yeah. Right. Okay, keep going. Yeah, so I mean the normal, the phrase the phrase ski bum, which is not really uh, in certain countries like if you in, in the Germanic countries, you you say ski bum, they don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, you must have to it's, say like ski tourist, ski traveler. Well, there there's really no there's no translation because they don't have it in their mentality. You know, in in, in Germany, there's a work ethic. Right. Yeah. That doesn't allow that, but in in Sweden or in the Nordic countries, uh, the work ethic is there's a there's a strong work ethic, but somehow within that the parameters of that work ethic, it's acceptable that when a young person either finishes high school or finishes college, that it's okay for them, not only for a year, but you know could be for a few years, whatever. Yeah. You know some of them work as an au pair. Some of some of them are ski bums. Some of them, whatever their hobby is, you know, maybe they they take off uh, to Greece and they're you know right. teaching surfing or whatever um, windsurfing. I meant, but there there's this uh, thing that this is good life experience. But then uh, you know after a while it's like yes now you're supposed to get into the the uh, uh, real life the mouse right. wheel yeah. yes. and and uh, and work the next 40 years and be part of society yeah but you see but, I, I i wasn't like that i, I was that you know I, I remember i always wanted to be a dairy farmer and then it was i don't know maybe the very early 80s and when interest rates were so stupidly high and i was like oh because my uncle had the farm it wasn't my dad <clears throat> and he had boys, and I was like, what am I going to do? Uh, I like being in the gym. I remember the moment. I was standing half court in our high school gym. I was 16 years old. I'm going to be a phys ed teacher. And I tell you, that's the best thing ever because I I got to practice my retirement for almost 30 uh, years, two months at a time in the summertime. <laughs> I was home with my kids, and one of my favorite bosses, he always said, you have a really great homework balance and he says and more geared to home than work but he knew when I was at work I was professional 100% of the time I approached my job because I was a blue-collar worker because I'm a carpenter and um, 
you know, I, I thought, okay, I get to work 7, 7.30, classes start at 8.30, they finish at 2.30. If I got out of there at 5 o'clock, earlier than 5 o'clock, that was a bonus, you know? So, but yeah, I was always, my son-in-law calls me the been there, done that guy. Not like you guys, though. <laughs> you know, so I, I would, you know, go on bike rides on the way home. It, you know, I worked five kilometers from home, but I'd do a 40K bike ride on the way home sort of thing. Well, it, so- it sounds like you you have a good balance. You've had a good balance. Yeah. Uh, and and that, I, wanted, I, mean, I wanted to retire as soon as I could, too. Honestly, the fact that we both studied to be teachers, you know, tells something about, about us. <laughs> <laughs> really, when I decided to be a teacher, you know, part of the reason was, okay, you got three months free. Yeah. The only thing that, that didn't work was that the three months were in the summer. Right. And, you know, I want to ski. Yeah. So then I became a substitute teacher for right. like 13 years because I could just – L.A. is so big. You know, I work for L.A. City Schools. I could come back and, and start teaching the next day. And then, you know, when Christmas came, I just called the substitute desk and say, you know, I'm not available till further notice. Right. And uh, I was off to the Alps. Yeah. And I did these TV shows back in uh, – after the first book came out, I uh, was lucky enough that – the Finnish, the, the top Finnish TV channel, they thought it was a good idea to do like a you know six-part miniseries mm-hmm. based on the book. Cool. So that was called Raider of the Lost They Snow. did a six-part miniseries based on your book. Yeah, I'll have to send you that. Oh, fucking hell, that's awesome. <laughs> um, so anyway, th- then we got, we you know, you didn't get much money for this. Right. But we got a little, no, but little money, and then we then we tried cool. to get some sponsors, and then we yeah. got we got uh, uh, Amar Corporation, which makes both Solomon and Atomic. Yes, okay, uh, yes, as, a, as our sponsor. Yeah. So now I've been skiing on Solomon for uh, for many years. And, and you like the Solomon skis? Yeah, I love I love yeah, Solomon. Kick ass. You like the XL? XL was pretty cool. At the time, I loved it. You it know? was amazing. Huh? Yeah, it was kind of different. You know, it had this aerodynamic design. You know, yeah. Like yeah, they were they were pretty kick ass, absolutely. Do you remember those, Keith? You probably don't. Re- you're not old enough to know about Hexo. Uh, the name sounds familiar. My dad used to work in the ski industry, and I, <clears throat> I, I didn't really ski. You know, it's like my dad, his his business. He's the largest importer and distributor of golf accessories in Canada. Oh no shit, really? And I, and I don't golf. <laughs> Gol- golfing's huge industry i know i know you know what like m- my dad was winding his business down my mom passed away so he jumped back into the business and it's just exploded again which i'm glad for him because it keeps him busy he has a house in florida he's there right now he golfs golfing. a few times a week yeah but I, I you know what i'm like happy gilmore man give me a give me a hockey stick or a baseball bat and i'll <laughs> I can hit the ball straighter than that with then with a golf club. <laughs> so I was like, you know what? I'd rather ride my bike or go go paddling. Very good. I mean, you 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 have enough hobbies. You don't have to take on all your all your dad's hobbies. That's so. right. That's right. My the rest of my family does that. So, but I do thank golfers for contributing to my inheritance. <laughs> Keep at it. So, where are you skiing next? 
I I think ski season is probably done it's for us. It's it's so warm here. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh so it's okay. You know what? And it we ski at a place that you would like, Jimmy. It's called Owl's Head in Quebec. It's not far mm-hmm. from the cottage. It was a mom and pop mountain. They've recent in the last three years sold it to local businessmen and they're keeping the old school vibe there so my midweek pass is they've just upped it it was 99 dollars for the season you have to have four people dollars for 99 dollars for the season yeah That's so perfect. yeah and you this ski is, monday this to is skiing the way skiing yeah should be yeah going. and so we we ski monday to thursday on our pass and what's really great is the pass allows us to buy each pass allows us to buy Two adults and up to four kids at at least fifty percent off, if not more. Wow! Yeah, and I'm like, you know what? That's where we're gonna ski. And mm-hmm. so we we planned this winter because my wife is she's retired. She retired the same time I did, and but she was a public health nurse and she ran communicable disease and control for her health unit, which is what COVID is. So they've asked her to come back to work. So she was working. <coughs> sometimes three days a week and because she's retired in holiday time she'll work more so that the young nurses who have young families don't have what's to work her, what's her name her you name's what? sean and i would imagine that she's very similar in personality as fabian <laughs> fabian <laughs> yeah so well, i think you're absolutely right I, it's I, amazing i would like that kind of place because i think the one of the reasons behind you know how it evolved you know getting into going to all these weird places to ski is i was trying to replicate the ski experience that i had as a kid right which was small uh ski resort couple of lifts not crowded um and just you know simplicity it it was the Really, it was the pioneer days. You know, yeah. I mean, I started skiing 1952. Right. So, so um, no, those were the very early days of skiing. You didn't have large ski resorts. And, of course, the way it's it's happened, you know, including even though, I mean, you know, Verbier is a fantastic place, um, as well as so many of these huge resorts in the Alps. But I love it to get to Kyrgyzstan. Right. And you have one lift and maybe... 250 vertical meters. And you can't believe there's a fucking lift in Kyrgyzstan. <laughs> and when when you when I got there, it's uh, fucking amazing. We had minus 15 degrees centigrade, so <laughs> about zero. Yeah. Let's say you know light powder, half a meter of light powder, and there were 10 people there. Right. So, I mean, you just were doing Perfect. lines yeah. one yeah. after another until yeah. you dropped. Right. As opposed to Alta. Yeah. Eat out oh. in, by 10.40, There's a place, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, in New York. It's on the eastern shore of Lake Ontario called Snow Ridge. It's probably 800-foot vertical. And we went there, and I call it the powder capital of the east. Okay. And... and <laughs> On this, on I don't know how many runs they might have, 25, 30 runs. They only I only saw eight snow guns because they don't need anything more than that. Like, you know, they'll they'll be skiing, they'll still be skiing 
for several more weeks there, you know, and you walk into the chalet and it's like, wow, dude, we're like back into 1955. You know, it's, it's awesome. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. it was, it was, it was great skiing and they only groom the middle of the runs and then they leave the outsides powder. So everybody can get that powder experience, but they'll get, you know, three to four feet of snow in a huge snowstorm. Wow. A few years ago, I think they got like 12 feet in about two days. <laughs> how high, how high is this place? It's not, it can't be very high if it's in upstate New York. Uh, it's 800 vertical feet. And it's yeah no but how, how oh, high is oh, oh. elevation it it's not that high I'm I'm gonna say uh, I'm at 200 feet above sea level where I live and I'm gonna imagine it's probably about the same okay yeah <laughs> yeah it's it's yeah. just south of um, well it's just north of Syracuse by about 45 minutes well you'd be surprised again how many places you know when you think about you talk about snow guns. And the quality of, of, you know, somebody like myself, I mean, I can, with my eyes closed, tell you that this is artificial snow or right. this is real snow. By the sound and, of it or when you ski through it? No, when I, when I ski. Right. When I ski through right. it. And, you know, it's partly because I have old knees and they don't really like artificial snow. Right. Um, and the way it's done in, in Europe usually, uh, and I, I have to admit, Unfortunately, because of climate change, you know, we, all, we, we need this artificial snow. Yeah. But they start creating this base on the pistes, you know, long before the, the real snow falls. And it's, it's solid ice. It is. And so then for a long time in the early season, you get a little real snow on top of it, but it just scrapes off the first time, uh, you know, the first day when people ski on it. And you're back to this really hard, uh, yeah. not... Free, free. If you're a powder skier, now, you know, people who ski back east, they know how to ski ice, but I don't know how to ski ice. Right. It belongs in gin and tonic, but not <laughs> under my skis. Um, so uh, th that's really a problem. Um, but anyway, we were down in Greece a couple of years ago. I was also doing a, you know, a, a ski film there. Skied about four or five different uh, different ski resorts for this for this film and the one that is the furthest south in Greece on the Peloponnese Peninsula um, we were we had really nice powder and we were talking to the uh, mountain manager and skied with him he's a very good skier and, and he said you know I've been I've been skiing all over I've been skiing in you know all these great places in the Alps but this is my favorite mountain right and and he pointed out that they don't have any snow guns. Really? And their season goes into at least mid-April every wow. year. So there's a lot of misconceptions about where one can ski. Uh, naturally, fortunately for somebody like myself or like Bob, who really also loved skiing in Greece, the Greeks have not really marketed skiing. You know, okay. they've marketed their summer tourism yes. uh, forever, which is fine. So, you know, we can go down there and there's like, all, you know, not many people skiing. And, and it's one of these experiences like you've had there in, in New York. Yeah. Oh, that, well, you know, when you talk about ski anywhere, teaching, <clears throat> we'll have snow days where we'll get enough snow where the buses don't run. And I would always tell the kids in my class, I said, if the kids who take the bus, they don't come to school, 
and you do because you were dumb enough not to listen to the radio or anything like that, I'm not going to hold them responsible for the work that we're going to do. And they're like, oh, that's not fair. And I said, listen, I don't force my kids to go to school on a snow day because I know what it's like. Anyway, so we would have very few kids. But the kids always knew that I was out skiing because there's this hill. The trees are <laughs> perfectly spaced. And I would come home at lunchtime, grab my gear, go out, figure eight the trees. I'd just, you know, ski down, walk up the road, ski down. And then the next day the kids were like, you were out skiing in town. I was like, yeah, that's a great place to ski. You know, it's a hundred, maybe a hundred yards long, but I got to ski at lunchtime <laughs> and then go back and teach. <laughs> yeah. You live right, Keith. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Anyways, I should let you guys go. It's getting on. Oh, uh, yeah, we got to get some sleep. Yeah. Um, we got to get some pizza. We oh. get some <laughs> I love you, Keith. All right. Hey, uh, um, this has been awesome. Up, yeah? yeah, for sure. Thanks. Jimmy Peterson. Can you see my face? Oh, I can see your face. Yeah. I'm scarred for life now. <laughs> I, I love you, Keith. It was amazing. Yeah, you, this you this is awesome. great. And All it's, right, so it's this, we're gonna finish this, yeah? Yeah. Keith, so skiing I'll, ski, I'll, what's that? I'll get I'll get your email from Bob and I'll mm -hmm. I'll, I'll send you a little email. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. And uh uh skiing around the world book.com right for the guy yeah. listeners who are in europe right yeah i was yeah, surprised I mean, they, we had i had listeners they're in the europe. two best books i've ever seen in my life right on uh, right on and, and thanks you, i'll try to i'll try to figure out a way to get them to somebody in canada well or, I, you know what i i have i have friends and family in the u.s so we can figure that out Okay. Yeah. That's good. All right. Keith, that was nice. Yeah. Fucking nice session. That was good. It was very impromptu. This was yeah, awesome. You, were you happy with it? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was awesome, man. Nice to meet you. Yeah, same here. All right, take it easy, guys. Have fun All skiing right. tomorrow. Okay. okay. Cheers. Good night. Well, there you go, folks. Episode 26 of the Skipper Report in the books. A huge thank you to Bob Mazurai in Verbier, Switzerland for facilitating this interview with Jimmy Peterson and listening to all of our stories and our embellishments and that sort of stuff. If you're looking for Jimmy's book, skiingtheworldbook.com on the World Wide Web. I want to thank you for listening to another episode of The Skipper Report. Check back later for another report. Peace out.